This is the uh, conspiracy guy. Explosive revelations have broken out in Washington and turned the town upside down. The shills are trying to deny, but the evidence is overwhelming that Susan Rice ordered the unmasking of Trump team members in Intel, who Newsweek once described as former President Barack Obama's right-hand woman, was at the center of unmasking Trump administration officials, a Bloomberg report affirms. We know that she sought the name of Trump associates. Here's an important story by Eli Lake. White House lawyers last month learned that the former National Security Advisor Susan Rice requested the identities of U.S. persons in raw intelligence reports on dozens of occasions that connect to the Donald Trump transition and campaign. The pattern of Rice's request was discovered in a National Security Council review of the government's policy on unmasking the identity of individuals in the U.S., who are not targets of electronic eavesdropping, but whose communications are collected incidentally. Normally, those names are redacted from summaries of monitored conversation and appear in reports as something like U.S. Person 1. The idea of claiming to be targeting the foreign correspondent in order to eavesdrop on the American, of course, is commonplace, creating a plausible deniability, which in this case is transparent. Confirm Susan Rice unmasked Team Trump from Zero Hedge. Once again, it appears that Trump was right. The conspiracy theory that a close Obama associate worked to unmask the Trump team, resulting in the ongoing media spectacle over collusion between Trump and the Kremlin, has been confirmed, first by Mark Cernovich and now by Bloomberg itself. Journalist and author Mike Cernovich dropped an exclusive bombshell naming Obama's national security advisor Susan Rice as the official responsible for the unmasking of the incoming Trump team during incidental surveillance. This was apparently discovered after the White House Counsel's Office reviewed Rice's documented log requests. The reports... Rice requested to see her kept under tightly controlled conditions. Each person must log her name before being granted access to them. Upon learning of Rice's actions, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster dispatched his close aide, Derek Harvey, to Capitol Hill to brief Chairman Nunes of the House Intelligence Committee. Cernovich pointed out, as revealed in an article by Circa, that President Obama began loosening the rules regarding incidental intercepts starting in 2011, make it easier for the government to spy on individuals who are not primary targets of a surveillance operation. We also have Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. attorney, reporting, former President Barack Obama's national security advisor Susan Rice ordered U.S. spy agencies to produce detailed spreadsheets of legal phone calls involving Donald Trump and his aides when he was running for president. Joe DeGeneva is a bulldog. He's very politically astute. His reports are invariably accurate. And now, of course, we have Rand Paul announcing he wants to have Susan Rice come before Congress, uh, an issue about which she has been evasive. More from Z Zero Hedge. Susan Rice responds to Trump unmasking allegations. I leak nothing to nobody. If anyone expected former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, the same Susan Rice who stretched the truth about Benghazi, 
to admit at her first public appearance after news that she unmasked members of the Trump team to admit she did something wrong, they're going to be disappointed. Instead, moments ago, she told MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell that she categorically denied that the Obama administration inappropriately spied on members of the Trump transition team. The allegation that somehow Obama administration officials utilized intelligence for political purposes, Rice told Mitchell, that's absolutely false. My job is to protect the American people and the security of our country. But evidently not to tell them the truth, on one Sunday she appeared on five different stations asserting that the Benghazi terrorist attack, which appears to have been orchestrated by Hillary Clinton, incidentally, had been the result of that trailer innocence of Muslims inciting the people she knew better. She lied then. She's lying now. During her conversation with Andrea Mitchell, she said, I don't solicit reports, Rice said. They're giving it to me if I read it, and I think that in order for me to understand it, is it significant or not significant, I need to know who the U.S. person is. I can make that request. She did concede it is possible the Trump team was picked up in incidental surveillance. The Duran has an excellent report on this. Ever since Mike Cernovich dropped the bombshell report over the weekend outing uh, Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, as the person behind the unmasking of the identity of various members of Trump's team who were incidentally surveilled during the 2016 campaign, a report that was subsequently confirmed by Eli Lake of Bloomberg earlier this morning. Everyone has been wondering who within the Trump House or the intel community supplied him with a massive scoop. But as it turns out, Cernovich didn't need a deep throat within the NSA or CIA for his blockbuster scoop. All he needed was some well-placed sources within a couple of America's corrupt mainstream media outlets. As Cernovich explains, his sources for the Susan Rice story was the mainstream media. Both Eli Lake, Bloomberg, and Maggie Haberman, New York Times, were sitting on the Susan Rice story in order to protect the former president of the United States, Obama. Maggie Haberman added, she will not run any articles that are critical of the Obama administration. Eli Leak had it. He didn't want to run it. Bloomberg didn't want to run it because it vindicates Trump's claims that he'd been spied upon. And Eli Lake is a never-Trumper. Bloomberg was a never-Trump publication. Just as an aside, I'm convinced that Deep Throat was not. Mark Felt, the FBI agent accused after he lost his mental competence, but rather Henry Kissinger, who would be a better position to lead them in the right direction, Woodward and Bernstein, who would be more appropriately described as deep throat. The news has even reached Sputnik News. Former National Security Advisor Susan Rice behind unmasking of Trump team. On Sunday evening, author and journalist Mike Cernovich revealed that Susan Rice, who served as a National Security Advisor under President Obama, was behind the unmasking of people on President Donald Trump's transition team. Surprise, surprise. Town Hall, excellent summary of the situation. Susan Rice changes her story on unmasking of Trump transition officials, denies wrongdoing. Just two weeks ago, former White House National Security Advisor Susan Rice told PBS she knew nothing about the unmasking of Americans, specifically Trump campaign officials or transition team members. 
I know nothing about this. I was surprised to see reports from Chairman Nunes on that count today, Rice said. Turns out she knew all about it. After a bombshell report released Monday alleged Rice is the Obama official responsible for the unmasking of a number of Trump transition team members, her story has changed. She's gone from knowing nothing to unmasking being part of her job. We only do it to protect American people and to do our jobs, Rice said, adding Obama officials never used intelligence to spy on Trump officials for political purposes. I leak nothing to nobody and never have and never would. When asked whether she would be willing to testify under oath in front of Congress about her actions, Rice refused to give a direct answer. Andrew McCarthy has given a summarization at a high level, officials like Susan Rice had names unmasked that would not ordinarily be unmasked. That information was then being pushed widely throughout the intelligence community in unmasked form, particularly after Obama, toward the end of his presidency, suddenly and seemingly apropos of nothing, changed the rules so that all of the intel agencies, not just the collecting agencies, could have access to raw intelligence information. As we know, the community of intelligence agencies leaks like a sieve, and the more access there is to juicy information, the more leaks there are. Meanwhile, former Obama officials and Clinton campaign advisors like uh, Farkas were pushing to get the information transferred from intelligence community to members of Congress, geometrically increasing the likelihood of intelligence leaks. By the way, have you noticed that there have been lots of intelligence leaks in the press? There's an old saying in the criminal law, the best evidence of a conspiracy is its success. We know, too, and this is from the plumb line, anatomy of a fake scandal ginned up by right-wing media and Trump, uh, that they're trying to debunk the whole story President Trump started off this morning, as he often does, by settling in to watch the festival of nincompoopery that is Fox and Friends. On the show, he saw something he believed vindicates the bizarre and false charges he made that Barack Obama was tapping his phones during the presidential campaign. Although this was published on April 3rd, it ought to have been published on the 1st because only a fool would believe it, given the massive evidence we have. Uh, Sean Spicer in today's press conference at the White House, this is back to March 31st, shifted the conversation away from the nothing burger of who told Chairman Nunes about the Trump team being surveyed by the Obama administration to the public uh, comments made by Dr. Farkas, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense specializing in Russia, who said, get as much information as you can to persons inside the intelligence apparatus for the purpose of preserving intel on the Trump team in an effort to hide it from the incoming administration. Spicer called her comments alone devastating and posited the notion that had the media been treating the Trump administration fairly, they'd be more concerned with the intelligence leaks coming out of the Obama administration, surveying Trump and his team for reasons that are indelibly unclear. But get this, I mean, uh, it, it, it... if, in fact, Susan Rice at the very near the top of the intel food chain on the political side kept this information to herself and didn't share it, how could it have possibly got into the hands of 
uh, Evelyn Farkas, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense under Obama, who made the disclosure uh, that her colleagues and she were making efforts to gather intelligence on Trump team ties to Russia before Trump took office and to conceal the sources of that intel from the incoming administration. I was urging my former colleagues and, frankly speaking, the people on the Hill, it was more actually aimed at telling the Hill people, get as much information as you can, get as much intelligence as you can before President Obama leaves the administration, Farkas, now a senior fellow at Atlantic Council, said, because I had a fear that somehow that information would disappear with the senior Obama people who'd left, so it would be hidden away in the bureaucracy that the Trump folks, if they found out how we knew what we knew about there, and here she hesitates instead of saying the word activities, the Trump staff dealing with Russians, that they would try to compromise those sources and methods, meaning we no longer have access to that information. But we even have a top Democrat that reporting that the Obama administration was investigating Trump since the spring of 2015, Marianne Marsh, a principal of the Dewey Square Group, a Democratic public affairs consulting firm, revealed that the Obama administration had been investigating Trump uh, since the spring of 2015. Now, of course, Evelyn Farkas is trying to spin. Former Obama official Evelyn Farkas has come under heavy fire for her March 2nd appearance on MSNBC, where she admitted to having a lot of knowledge on the surveillance of Trump and his team. She's now in damage control mode. Her nervousness is causing her to make some very odd statements. She appeared on MSNBC to defend herself, claiming that the recent stories about her knowledge of Trump being wiretapped is fake news, and perhaps the Russians are behind it. We are officially in the twilight zone, folks. Uh, Farkas, Dark campaign of fake news, you know, that's still ongoing. We see um, even someone like myself get swept up in all of this. You know, when people like me are speaking on behalf of process, people spin it to uh, suit their needs, and I think maybe the Russians may be behind such fake news today. I mean, how dumb are we supposed to be? Here's another bombshell from Zero Hedge. CI whistleblower leak-proof Trump under systematic surveillance over two years ago. FBI sat on it. The same day, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes gave a press conference disclosing that President Trump had been under incidental surveillance. Attorney and Freedom Watch Chairman Larry Klayman sent a letter to the House Committee on Intelligence imploring them to pursue the claims and evidence presented under oath at Washington, D.C. FBI field office by his client, CIA NSA whistleblower Dennis Montgomery, who claim and claims hold the keys to disproving the false claims that there's no evidence that the president and his men were wiretapped. When Montgomery attempted to deliver this information through the appropriate channels two years ago, the former CIA and NSA contractor wasn't given the time of day. A summary of Montgomery's efforts to expose rampant illegal and unconstitutional surveillance on American citizens and prominent individuals such as Donald Trump is as follows. Montgomery, who was a a contractor for the NSA and the CIA, left the agencies with 47 hard drives and over 600 million pages of information, much of which is classified and sought sought to come forward legally as a whistleblower 
to appropriate government entities, including congressional intelligence committees, to expose that spy agencies were engaged for years in systematic illegal surveillance on prominent Americans, including the Chief Justice of the United States, other associate justices, 156 judges, and prominent businessmen such as Donald Trump and even Larry Clayman. Uh, working side by side with former Obama Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, who lied in congressional testimony, and former Obama Director of the CIA, the equally ethically challenged John Brennan, Montgomery witnessed up close and personal this Orwellian big brother intrusion on privacy, likely for political coercion, blackmail, or other nefarious purposes. Now bear in mind, when he talks about the Congressional Intelligence Committees, he's talking about both the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee, which have had this information for more than two years. I repeat, for more than two years. Of course, it may not be overly surprising that the, when the Democrats had Obama in the presidency, they would seek to contain it. But that's no longer possible, and it's coming out. Atlantic Files has published a nice piece, The Real Scandal Behind Team Trump's Alleged Russian Collusion. To wit, the real red herring is the Russian collusion story, considering there is zero evidence that Russia actually tampered with the U.S. election. That's exactly correct. The whole thing was completely made up. One cannot examine the left's Russia narrative without considering the strong likelihood that members of the Obama administration surveyed the Trump campaign and their associates, both foreign and domestic, to gather information which they then used to allege collusion. T Tucker Carlson has been completely brilliant about this. I recommend his as one of the only two news shows that are worthy of your time and effort. The other being, remarkably enough, Sean Hannity, who has proven to be the most balanced and objective uh, reporter and anchor about the whole campaign and now into this horrendous, murky territory. President Trump alleged that the Obama administration wiretapped Trump towers to garner information about his team and how foreign diplomats viewed him soon after the Russia talks surfaced. Last month, House Intel Committee Chairman Representative Devin Nunes announced that two White House aides provided him with dozens of intelligence reports that included details, highly inappropriate details, on President Trump's transition team. Despite it all, the Democrats have relentlessly pushed the Russian collusion narrative, suggesting that the wiretapping allegations are merely a diversionary tactic. But we have a tremendous amount of information about the history of these events, the spying by the Obama administration on then-presidential candidate Donald Trump reportedly was even worse than what has been alleged, and it had nothing to do with Russia, but everything to do with politics. Sources in the intel community claim the potentially illegal revealing of names or unmasking of people in the Trump camp who were under surveillance was done purely for political purposes to hurt and embarrass candidate Trump and his team. The bombshell revelations come from rank-and-file members of the intel community who are fighting back against a stonewall by the leaders of the nation's uh, intelligence agencies. Here's, here's the record that appears to be accurate and faithful to the facts. Surveillance targeting the Trump team during the Obama administration began months ago 
even before the president become the GOP nominee in July. That would be of uh, 2016. The spying on the Trump team had nothing to do with the collection of foreign intelligence or an investigation into Russia election interference. The spying was done purely for political purposes that have nothing to do with national security and everything to do with hurting and embarrassing Trump and his team. The person who did the unmasking was someone very well known, very high up, very senior in the intelligence world, and is not in the FBI. Congressional investigators know the name of at least one person who was unmasking names, and we now know that name is Susan Rice. The initial surveillance on the Trump team led to a number of names being unmasked. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Representative Devin Nunes has known about the unmasking since January. Two sources in the intel community told Nunes who did the unmasking and told him at least one of the names of someone in the Trump team who was unmasked. The sources also gave Nunes the serial numbers of the classified reports that documented the unmasking. It took Nunes a number of weeks to figure out how to see those intelligence reports because the intelligence agencies were stonewalling him and not allowing the chairman or other people to see them. There were only two places Nunes could have seen the information, where the sources work, which would have blown their cover, and the Eisenhower Executive Office building on the White House grounds, which houses the National Security Council and has computers linked to the security system containing the reports he sought. And that, of course, explains why uh, Nunes had to go to the White House. It was not to, uh, you know, consort with Trump, as Adam Schiff initially alleged. There was nothing uh, corrupt or duplicitous about it. He had to go there to get access to the records, which are very tightly controlled, only available at two locations as specified. And now, in the meanwhile, Adam Schiff has gone to the White House as well to review those records. And you'll notice he has dramatically moderated his criticism of, uh, of uh, Re Representative Nunes and, and no longer claims that there's, uh, he is certain that there was uh, Russian interference or that there was no, no uh, surveillance. A very interesting report is coming from an unexpected source where I'm gaining newfound respect for none other than Rush Limbaugh. Conservative talk show host Ruff Limbaugh on Monday boiled down the complex web of surveillance stories regarding the Trump team into one simple concept. The Obama administration declared a very secret war on President Donald Trump using America's intelligence services as his weapon. Trump first alerted Americans to the surveillance issue when he tweeted on March 4th that he was wiretapped by former President Barack Obama. Trump's claims were initially met with denials. However, it was reported on Monday that Trump's former national security advisor, Susan Rice, played a, a heretofore unannounced role by unmasking the identities of Trump associates whose communications were incidental byproducts of the surveillance, or so they claim. This now rush. But the real scandal here, and it's becoming increasingly clear, is that the Obama administration weaponized politically our intelligence services against the Republicans and against Trump. I, for one, am not surprised, he said. We know that the Obama regime surveilled Trump's transition team. We know now that the Obama White House unmasked people who were not targets of legitimate surveillance and investigation. 
We know now that the Obama White House illegally leaked protected information, he said. Limbaugh observed that mainstream media outlets were used as well to share the few choice tidbits from leakers burrowed in the Obama and Trump administration. Quote, the drive-by media reported all of this. We know that there had to be unmasking. We know that there had to be leaking. The media proudly told us that sources who could not be identified fed them data. We know now that the media was complicit, he said. Uh, uh, Limbaugh also remarked that because rules forbid direct surveillance without proof that did not exist, the Obama administration found a novel way to indirectly eavesdrop on the Trump team. Now that's all profoundly disturbing. And let me just say, uh, we hear all the reports about fake news. Well, we have here one of the, an invaluable litmus test as to who's speaking the truth and who is faking it. You can see, given these revelations, there was massive surveillance taking place on the Trump administration. So any source you find who continues to deny it is simply dissembling to you, lying to your face. This is a perfect litmus test. And if it should turn out that some sources of which you may have heretofore been skeptical, such as Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh, or on the right side of this issue are the truth tellers, and other sources on whom you have depended in the past, such as the Washington Post and the New York Times, are not. Bear in mind that reflects the complexities of the state of the media today, which, as William Colby explained to Congress back in 1975, the CIA, the agencies, owns everyone a significance in the, in the major media, which is even worse today. Several developments, however, in relation to foreign policy are causing me acute distress. Vladimir Putin, as most will know, welcomed President Rouhani of Iran to the Grand Kremlin Palace, uh, confirming that Tehran is acquiring a security guarantee from Moscow and Beijing as it integrates itself into greater Eurasia. What we have here is an important report about the emerging alliance between Russia, Iran, and China, which has enormous significance for world peace and stability. This is something I've been advocating at least since 2008, when I was flown to Buenos Aires to give lectures on JFK and 9-11, and was invited to speak at a mosque. I had a private conversation with the Iman, where I emphasized the necessity for Iran to develop a mutual defense pact with Russia, in order to bring greater stability to that region of the world. And this is a tremendously important development. We also know, however, that the candidate who promised to end the wars in the Middle East appears to be contradicting his avowed uh, position. We have a Russian general coming from Russia insider, U.S. trying to destroy serious critical infrastructure, a top Russian general claims the U.S. is trying to completely destroy critical infrastructure in Syria and complicate post-war reconstruction as much as possible. This was going on under Obama. I condemned it then. I condemn it now. Uh, the Donald has to get control of his own military. He may have appointed too many generals and given them too much latitude where they grew up in a Cold War environment that is absolutely no longer applicable to the world today. Even Russia... Has, has turned on Trump, blames him for relations that are worse than the Cold War. This is very stunning. That, that, uh, 
uh, uh, the, the, the narrative is abysmal in looking for a hope for improvement, which was confirmed by Putin's spokesman Vladimir Peskov today, this was on March 31st, who said on Friday that the relationship between the U.S. and Russia may be worse now than it was during the Cold War. When asked by Good Morning America host George Stephanopoulos if the U.S. and Russia were in a new Cold War, Peskov said the current situation may be worse, blaming the U.S. for disintegrating the cooperation between the two countries. Here we have uh, an Army general, the head of CENTCOM, Joseph Votel, declaring that Tehran is the greatest long-term threat to stability in the Middle East, which is frankly absurd. Uh, Tehran, Iran is a peaceful country that hasn't launched a war of aggression against any other nation since 1775. Iran abandoned its nuclear weapons program in 2003 when American invasion took out the regime of Saddam Hussein, whom they had worried was developing nuclear weapons. Our own intel agencies confirmed as much as 2007, reaffirmed in 2011. Now we have another three-star general declaring war on Somalia. Uh, this is uh, Lieutenant General Waldhauser is declaring now that certain areas in southern Somalia is a war zone, uh, seems to reflect a new authority that has been granted to the military by uh, Donald Trump. It's a huge mistake. He must take it back. He must gain, regain control. And he should start firing some of these generals who have wandered off the reservation. I'll be right back. This is the conspiracy guy. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, Prove that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Now Hillary wants to extend the deception by posing as a champion of Sandy Hook to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. This is the uh, conspiracy guy. We now have new reports of a chemical attack in uh, Syria. Uh, that's being blamed on the Assad government. I mean, will we never learn? Uh, don't we realize way back when, in what, 2011, that there was a chemical attack that was blamed on the Assad government that had been performed by the rebels using weapons that appear to have been brought into their hands by Hillary Clinton from stockpiles in Libya or by uh, uh, Prince Bandar of Saudi Arabia, colloquially known as Bandar Bush? where Obama was going to use this as a justification for lobbing cruise missiles into Syria until the American people spoke up virtually as one in opposition, and where the Russians produced a 50-page dossier demonstrating that the attack had been launched by the rebels, not by the Assad government. So here today we have the colossal stupidity. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said on Tuesday, a suspected chemical attack in a Syrian town was a consequence of the past administration's weakness and irresolution. Today's attack is reprehensible and cannot be ignored by the civilized world, Spicer told reporters. These heinous actions by Bashir al-Assad regime 
are a consequence of the past administration weakness and revolution. President Obama had said in 2012 he'd established a red line against the use of chemical weapons and then did nothing. The U.S. stands with our allies across the globe to condemn this intolerable act. But it's clear this is uh, fraudulent. This is another fake. In fact, we have an earlier report about uh, the use of gas in a notorious uh, uh, attack on Ghouta uh, near Damascus in 2013, where it turns out that the sarin gas materials were sent to ISIS from Turkey. I mean, this is completely outrageous. Do, do, do the Trump people have no history? McClatchy reported, too, about the same attack. New analysis of rocket used in Syria chemical attack undercuts U.S. claims. A series of revelations about the rocket believed to have delivered poison sarin gas to a Damascus suburb last summer are challenging American intelligence assumptions about that attack and suggest the case uh, U.S. officials initially made for retaliatory military action was flawed. Well, of course it was flawed. Think about motive means an opportunity. President Assad is winning the war in Syria. We just had a declaration from from uh, Rex Tillerson, uh, confirmed by the, the, the Trump administration, that they were no longer uh, insisting on his removal. We're no longer dedicated to regime change, uh, that we want to destroy ISIS. Well, that had to be the signal that triggered off this latest false flag attack to blame it on Assad. Assad has no interest in doing anything provocative. He has the assistance of the Russians. He has the assistance of the Iranians. And at one point of time, I believed that Donald Trump was going to go after ISIS in, co in cooperation with the Russians, where we received early reports that that was the case. I no longer believe it. If we're going after the infrastructure, that's a war crime. It's a violation of Article 33 of the Geneva Convention of 1949 that make the punishment of any, any person for a crime he did not personally commit. Uh, an offense uh, under the, the international law. I mean, what is more heinous than destroying the infrastructure of a nation? Uh, Donald Trump has to get his act together and stop allowing himself to be played for a sap. I'm, I'm profoundly disturbed. We also have a rather upsetting report that Jared Kushner is leaking to MSNBC to Joe Scarborough. That may sound very, very odd, Jared Kushner has an unusual role here in this administration uh, where there are those of us who suspect that he may actually be uh, an agent of the Mossad. Apparently, these leaks are intended to undermine the role of, uh, of Bannon, who's been so important to Trump in fashioning his policies, that he wants to undermine Bannon's policies. They may bespeak of too much independence from Israel and not enough dependence. This is also highly disturbing. Now we have the oddity of Dick Cheney reemerging and accusing Russia of waging an act of war against the United States. I mean, give me a break. Don't you remember this Dick Cheney guy? He was one of those who was responsible for telling us there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, he's trying to make himself uh, relevant again. Uh, Dick Cheney is the Darth Vader of American politics. Here's a very interesting article exactly on point by Robert Perry. Exclusive, an angry mainstream U.S. media is sh shaking its fist at anyone who won't cl clamber aboard the Russiagate group think bandwagon, reports Robert Perry. 
The mainstream U.S. media is never more unctuous and unprofessional as when it asserts that it alone must be the arbiter of what is true and what is not, regardless of what the evidence shows or doesn't show. For instance, New York Times columnist Charles W. Blow declared on Monday that the public can no longer debate whether Russia leaked to WikiLeaks e emails from the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman John Podesta, despite the failure of the U.S. government or private researchers to present evidence that establishes that claim as fact. Blow acknowledged that we are still not conclusively able to connect the dots on the question of whether there was any coordination or collusion between members of Donald Trump's campaign and the Russians, but those dots, too, continue to multiply an alarming rate. But Blau also asserts that, quote, it is absolutely clear that the Russians did interfere in our election. This is not a debatable issue. This is not fake news. This is not a witch hunt. This happened. But that's completely absurd. It's a total wild goose chase. There was no Russian hacking. Seth Rich, who was the IT guy for the DNC, became disillusioned over the sabotaging of Bernie Sanders' campaign decided to reveal it, leaked this information to Craig Murray, a UK ambassador to Uzbekistan, uh, uh, intel analyst and the head of a college, friend of Julian Assange, who proceeded to publish that. They both have asserted they know the leaker, the leaker, and there was no, it was not a Russian. Russia had nothing to do with it, no state involved whatsoever. Seth Rich, of course, has played the ultimate role by being shot multiple times in the back in retaliation, and where, in accordance with his policy of never identifying his sources, Julian Assange has not specified that he was the source. He has subtly underlined that being the case by offering a 20000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of, of, uh, uh, of whoever was responsible. All these absurd claims from Blow, where the DNC wouldn't even allow the FBI to inspect their servers, uh, but relied upon an intermediate agency that's corrupt known as CrowdStrike, that it's entirely clear the Russians did interfere, not a debatable issue, this is not fake news, that gives new meaning to the phrase blowjob. As, in fact, Perry continues, uh, E.J. Dion has gone on board uh, reporting that uh, these days any, any liberal who raises alarms about Trump's relationship with Russia confronts charges of McCarthyism, hysteria, and hypocrisy. The inclination of many on the left to assail Russia President Vladimir Putin is often ascribed to partisan anger over he, his success in undermining Clinton's candidacy. There's no doubt that liberals are angry, but ask yourself, shouldn't everyone left, right, and center be furious over Russia's efforts to inject calumny and falsehood into the American political bloodstream? So E.J. Dion, too, is suggesting that people who question the credibility of the Russiagate allegations are somehow un-American by favoring the injection of calumny and falsehood into the American political bloodstream. But that mainstream hostility towards skepticism has been at the heart of the Russian bashing campaign we've witnessed for the last several years, as Robert Perry continues. And that campaign, indeed, has been replete with McCarthyism. You even have the Washington Post promoting a blacklist of 200 Internet news sites, including ConsortiumNews.com and other prominent independent-minded outlets, 
of as guilty of Russian propaganda for reporting skeptically on some State Department claims about the new Cold War. But Dion is also dishonest in claiming that the alleged leaks blamed on Russia are, are false. <clears throat> the central allegation in Russiagate is that the Russians obtained two batches of Democratic emails and released them to the American public via WikiLeaks. Even if that's the case, nothing in those emails was fabricated. And here I part with Perry because we know not only was there no hacking of the DNC, there was no hacking of the RNC. I recall watching in astonishment as it took Rents Priebus three different assertions to, to uh, uh, let Chuck Todd understand when he was going on about how the proof of Russian intervention was they had hacked both the DNC and the RNC but only released the DNC. Categorically false. Rents Priebus asserted three different times the RNC was not hacked. The RNC was not hacked. The RNC was not hacked. But then neither was the DNC. Perry goes on about the content. The emails represent real news, including evidence that the DNC displayed improper bias against Senator Bernie Sanders' insurgent campaign, excerpts of Hillary Clinton's paid speeches to Wall Street that she was trying to hide from the voters, and revelations about pay-to-play aspects of the Clinton Foundation's uh, dealing with foreign entities. So even if the Russians had given the emails to WikiLeaks, though WikiLeaks denies that the Russians were the source, and they were not, the core reality is the emails provide real information the American people had a genuine right to know. But Dion and the mainstream U.S. media have conflated this truth-telling with cases of fake news made-up stories that investigations have shown had no connection to Russia, simply to sleazy entrepreneurs seeking to make some money via a lot of clicks. In other words, done is lying or engaging in fake news himself. Such phony journalism is reminiscent of other shameful chapters of the mainstream media's history of serving as propaganda conduits and marginalizing independent reporters who displayed professional skepticism toward the dangerous groupthink of official Washington. A pivotal moment in the chaos that is now consuming the planet came on February 6, 2003, when the Washington Post editorial and op-ed pages presented a solid phalanx of misguided consensus that ruled out any further dissent about the existence of Iraq's weapons of mass destruction after Secretary of State Colin Pohl presented his slam-dunk case before the United Nations the day before. The Post editorial board, led by editorial page editor Fred Hyatt, Judge Powell's WMD case irrefutable, an opinion echoed across the Post op-ed page. Quote, the evidence he, Powell, presented at the UN, some of it circumstantial, some of it absolutely bone-chilling in its detail, had to prove to anyone that Iraq was not, not only hasn't accounted for its weapons of mass destruction, but without a doubt still retains them, wrote Post columnist Richard Cohn, only a fool or possibly a Frenchman could conclude otherwise. The post-senior policy columnist Jim Hoagland then demanded the surrender of any WMD doubting holdouts. To continue to say that the Bush administration has not made its case, you must now believe that Colin Powell lied on the most serious statement he will ever make or was taken in by manufactured evidence. I don't believe that today, neither should you. But the answer is clear in retrospect. He was taken in by manufactured evidence. Putin, by the way, has laid down the gauntlet over this claim of election interference. Speaking at a CNBC-moderated panel, and this was reported 
on the 30th of March. Russian President Vladimir Putin once again said that accusations of Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election are lies used for domestic American politics. Quote, in translation, of course, we said on numerous occasions, and I read it, that we are confident and know for sure that opinion polls in the United States show that very many people are friendly toward the Russian Federation. I'd like to tell these people that we perceive and regard the United States as a great power with which we want to establish good partnership relations, Putin said, adding all those things parenthetically about the Russian dossier, Russian intervention in the election or affecting the outcome are fictional, illusionary, and provocations, lies. These are used for domestic American political agenda. The anti-Russian card is played by different political forces inside the United States to trade on that and consolidate their position inside. James Records, a financial expert who was one of the few to predict a Trump presidential win, explains that the new president has battles on many fronts. Rickard contends it's one thing to say there is an opposition to a president. There's always some opposition to the president. It's a two-party system. What we see now is extreme. Trump didn't get a honeymoon. He got a burning bed. Trump is facing four pockets of resistance. There is the deep state, the resistance, the media, and even the Republican Party, as we saw in the Obamacare repeal. I'm not saying they are all in this together as some deep, dark conspiracy. They don't have to be. President Obama set up an anti-White House about two miles from the real White House. It is a government in exile or an opposition government. He's operating through a front company called Organizing for Action. He's not organizing for America. He's organizing for action. This is a continuation of the 2008 and 2012 Obama campaign. Trump is not up against normal political opposition. He's up against resistance and the deep state. They want one of two things. They want to impeach Trump and remove him from office, force him to resign, or at a minimum, make him so ineffective he's a placeholder until the next election. They are not out to oppose the Trump presidency, but to destroy the Trump presidency. This is extraordinary, and I call it America's new civil war. We also have reports from Jerry Corsi, who's a highly reliable that the Democrats may have targeted Flynn because he blocked Obama backing al-Qaeda and ISIS. In other words, we know, and I did a huge amount of research on this, that ISIS was created by the United States in collaboration with Saudi Arabia and Israel. And, you know, when the claim is made by General Vogel, that Iran is the greatest threat to stability and peace. I mean, it's not only absurd vis-a-vis -vis Iran, but he's overlooking the obvious, namely uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States are the greatest threats to stability, where the uh, Saudis are funding massively behind the scenes, uh, where you know Iraqi forces way back when shot down two UK cargo planes delivering supplies to ISIS, uh, a week later, Iraqi popular forces shot down a U.S. helicopter doing the same. We have photos of, U of ISIS members sporting U.S. Army tattoos. Uh, we have uh, from hacking into the files of an aide to Senator John McCain, 
video showing the taping of the phony propaganda for ISIS pieces of beheadings on sound stages in either Tel Aviv or even Hollywood. Go online and look for photographs of John McCain with al-Baghdadi or of John McCain with a leader of ISIS, where al-Baghdadi is the leader of ISIS. In Washington, D.C., ISIS is known colloquially as John McCain's army. Well, uh, Michael Flynn stood up against that. He opposed it. He's now willing to testify in exchange for immunity, completely appropriate, given the, the volatile, polarized situation in Washington. If he made a, 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 a least remark that could be twisted or perverted to make a case against him, they're going to go after him every way they can. He needs immunity to testify, but it's quite likely that he has a substantial story to tell. In fact, uh, here we have a, a report from BuzzFeed, that, however, that's very curious, that Michael Flynn's lawyer once called Trump a Manchurian candidate and questioned his Russian ties. This is Robert Kleiner, who said Thursday, the case against Flynn is outrageous and based on unfounded allegations. Scott Bennett, who's a former Army Intel and PSYOPs officer, has explained that there's a really unique opportunity here where Michael Flynn's testimony before Congress could, ex could be harmful to the deep state by exposing its modus operandi, which he knows so very well. I would add, by the way, that Sheriff Dave Clark, who's attained quite a bit of fame himself, has raised a question, was DNC staffer Seth Rich killed because he knew too much? Uh, well, he's getting close to the mark because it appears to have been an act of retaliation. There have been multiple in relation to the WikiLeaks re revelations. For example, Julian Assange's own attorney wound up in front of a subway in London. The, the uh, pr pr person who served a class action lawsuit against the DNC uh, died a mysterious death shortly thereafter. The FBI agent widely believed to give the Wiener treasure trove of 650,000 emails to Julian Assange has been found dead, his wife again. Their house burned to the ground, supposedly a murder-suicide, but there's no reason to think that's true at all. And committing murders and trying to make them out like this is a classic black op technique. Burning down the house is the tell. That's what they do to destroy evidence. We also know the new Democratic National Committee Chairman, Tom Perez, has asked the entire staff of the DNC to turn in their resignation letters among major party turmoil after the DNC's stunning defeat. But more significantly, he's dispersing everyone who was there, knew what actually was going on, knowing that, in fact, the, 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 the campaign was sabotaging Bernie Sanders just as Julian Assange where not one of Julian Assange's releases has ever been challenged for its authenticity. And we now have James Corbett showing hack, hoax, and rabble how a private anti-Russian corporation named CrowdStrike was behind the Russian DNC hacks. Uh, a, a very astute observation has been made now. How squeaky clean is Trump that after 20 months of opposition research and wiretapping, all they have on him is bogus Russia charges. Noam Chomsky, whom I've long recognized to be a left-wing gatekeeper, has suggested that Trump, however, could change the narrative completely by staging a terrorist attack uh, that would transform the discussion. At least Chomsky's acknowledging the, the use of false flag attacks, the contrivance of these attacks, because they're going on endlessly 
A couple brief stories before I continue. A top Clinton aide summoned by Congress turns up dead just days after being summoned to appear before Trey Grouty's congressional committee to testify, but Hillary Clinton's email server, one of her aides, was found dead at home of natural causes. Johnston Wilson McGill, 34, 34, 34, was pronounced dead on his couch by a private doctor after suffering an apparent heart attack. A spokesman for Clinton's former campaign said that Huma Abedin, Clinton's deputy campaign coordinator, found McGill when she stopped by for coffee to discuss Clinton's plans for a run for mayor of New York. Well, how'd she get into the house? He would have to have been alive when she arrived, and then she's then he's dead. And get this. Abedin told police in a statement that McGill suffered from an abnormal heart arrhythmia and that his doctor had always said a sudden and massive cardiac event was a possibility. How in God's name would Huma Abedin know that? This is a perfect illustration of why the NSA and the CIA want to tap all of our records, medical, financial, emails, uh, I mean, it, it, so they can plan things like this and make it look like a natural death. Uh, there will be no autopsy on the body, which will be cremated before sunset in accordance with his religion. McGill is a single son of deceased parents and has no family, no services or plan. Does anybody find that a bit odd? Jason, Jason Chaffetz, by the way, who's one of the true men of integrity in the Congress today, was stunned when he was questioning Trumbull Sol, National Security Agency, Central Security Service, Legislative Affairs Director, about Hillary Clinton's emails. And uh, Trumbull was explaining that he wasn't authorized to release them, that the originating agency would have to be involved in that. He couldn't discuss it in public, which stunned Jason Chaffetz, who's beginning to understand that, in fact, what's going on here is that the CIA was profoundly involved in Hillary's whole email operation. Let me just add, by the way, we have additional reports of Hillary's State Department wrapped up in allegations of sexual misconduct, pedophilia, and cover-up that Dr. Phil, bless him, reported on children in cages, the elite buying children to hunt them, sex before she could speak, private islands, children partying with rich and powerful sex slaves, the woman he featured, who had a noticeable lack of affect, had first been subjected to intercourse at the age of two. It's a miracle she survived. Uh, we now have, too, another bombshell coming from attorney Mike Cernovich, the same who exposed that Susan Rice, uh, on Infowars with Alex Jones, he, on the 4th, he reported that the, Trump is having trouble getting people cleared for security because, get this, those who are managing the, the polygraphs are themselves pedophiles, and they are worried that if Trump gets his people in place, they're going to be exposed and outed and prosecuted and punished, so not, not allowing them to pass security tests. This is as profound as a corruption gets. We do, however, have a first Democrat official tied to the elite pedophile ring pleading guilty. Uh, this is a Democrat former mayor of Hubbard, Ohio, Richard Keating, got 100 years for, you know, a massive number of these offenses, including multiple uh, penetrations of a four-year-old girl, a pretty good for a Democrat pleading guilty to what's supposed to be a fake news pedophile story. Now, we have uh, the BBC engaging in an effort to stop conspiracy theories uh, by using the Sandy Hook uh, case as an illustration. 
uh, w there are several trials going on right now that are putting, you know, exposing the charade of Sandy Hook, including Wolfgang Halberg versus Leonard Posner, who didn't even show up at the pretrial hearing in, in which Wolfgang was granted discovery that James Tracy in his lawsuit against Florida Atlantic is making great progress uh, where there's all kinds of evidence of the fakery here that proof that the school was closed uh, as we demonstrated in the book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook 2015 which was banned by Amazon uh, less than a month after it was put on sale on 22 October and sold nearly 500 copies and then was removed on 19 November because it blew the whole case apart. If you just look at photographs of the school, you see it's not handicapped accessible, which is why it had to be abandoned in 2008. You have stairways that are wooden steps, no wheelchair could navigate, steel pipe sticking out, pop the eyes out of a little kid. We have hundreds of photographs from the crime scene demonstrating that it was not an operating school. And now we have proof of how it was done we discussed then how the photographs of the children appeared to be uh, wearing uh, about 10 years out of date because they were wearing clothing that was no longer uh, being worn by kids at that date. Well, Kelly Watt, who is a brilliant student of Sandy Hook, who had 100 hours of conversation with Lenny Posner, whose son Noah is most unusual because he not only died on 14 December 2012, but died again in Pakistan on 16 December 2014 sent Kelly when she insisted he, he, she didn't have a son, ha, hadn't died, a fake death certificate. The, the, authentic, the bottom half of an authentic, the top half of a fake, doesn't even have a file number, has the wrong estimated time of death. We've known the whole thing was a fraud. Well, Kelly also noticed that, that Noah Posner's purported older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, bore an uncanny correspondence to Noah. And in fact, we've been able to prove that Lenny Posner fabricated the fictional character of Noah by using photographs from the childhood of Michael Vabner. You can find it online, uh, the Sandy Hook charade, Noah Posner was Michael Vabner as a child on my blog. In addition, we have now the FBI releasing what's been described as a trove of 9-11 photographs. But if anyone thinks they're proving that a plane hit the Pentagon, they're going to have to think twice. I'll just make a few comments here. Uh, many may recall on 9-11 that Jamie McIntyre at the Pentagon reported in response to a question from the anchor suggesting a plane had crashed there. He said, well, you might think that, but from my close-up inspection, there's no sign of any large plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. No pieces, no parts, nothing you couldn't pick up in your hand. And those, may I add, were not parts of an aluminum aircraft. The Pentagon released photographs. I'll just comment on a few. There's one where you see a lot of smoke rising from a lot of fire that many might mistakenly, naively suppose was when the plane had first crashed. But actually, you're witnessing a Hollywood-style special effect. The flames are coming from a series of enormous dumpsters. I, I am looking at three photos of them now. Uh, another student came through Duluth and showed me 44 more frames where you could see light between the dumpsters and the building. Here's another where you see the collapsed portion of the Pentagon water being poured on it. Uh, notice number one, there's no sign of any plane in the foreground. None, none, no part at all. Number two, this happened 27 minutes after the initial strike. Apparently they didn't think the damage looked serious enough, so they arranged for this part of the Pentagon to fall down. Third, if you look at the location of the actual initial strike, there's a chain link fence, two cars, spo enormous spools of cable, 
unbroken windows, uh, a hit point that looks to be about 10 feet high and about 16 feet wide for a plane that had a 125-foot wingspan and a tail that stood 44 feet above the ground, but no massive pile of debris from an aluminum airliner weighing 100 tons, no body, no seats, no luggage, no tail, no wings, not even the engines were recovered from the Pentagon, though I'm told now that they faked it uh, 10 years later, having recovered engines that weren't there at the time. Look at other photographs, clear green Pentagon lawn, the lime green civilian fire truck putting it out, and one especially interesting piece of debris that actually came from a Boeing 767, uh, which, which was, uh, had a piece of vine ensnared in it from, from a crash in Cali, Columbia in 1957. <laughs>